What does it mean to play a role-playing game by yourself? How is it possible to find play in the solitude of alone? Should we even allow ourselves to go there? Hey, it's Che, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Che's gonna bring me back Plus one to attack. Oh, 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 I want to come back to the dice. Whoa, oh, 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 I think I need some good advice. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. I need a roleplay rescue. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last time I talked about the tension between being a player and being the GM in a role-playing game. Today, I want to explore the question of what it means to play alone, solo, just you and the game. There was never a time when I didn't play alone, from the first moment I got my own copy of RuneQuest all the way through to today. Except, of course, when I don't let myself play alone. Play is a voluntary thing. It's an expansive thing. It's something we do for pleasure, albeit for many different variations of the idea of play. I like the challenge, the fantasy, the expression inherent in play. I like my games to be tangible, social even, which seems strange in a discussion about playing alone. Your mileage may vary because you are seeking other engagements, and that's fine. But when I play alone, I play more deeply. I play with less self-consciousness. I enter into flow more freely. And the pleasure is often pure, undiluted and freer than when we share the play with others. There is something delightfully indulgent in play for the sake of ourselves. Selfish even. But it doesn't have to be selfish. We can discover ways to play alone that open us up to new treasures we can freely share with others. With our groups, our friends. And it's that possibility of being able to give of ourselves through play that I want to explore with you now. When I first started role-playing, I was introduced to Traveller, the science fiction adventure game which was presented as three little black books. But I didn't immediately own that box set of booklets. Mine was published in 1977, delightfully enough. But my first role-playing game was the one my father bought and I stole. RuneQuest. RuneQuest started my pattern of playing alone. While my friends and I would meet most weekdays and sometimes at the weekends to play, there were many hours at home alone, between waking and breakfast, or after dinner and before sleep, and I guess at long weekends when I was alone in my room, in splendid isolation, to steal a lyric from the little angels. What my solo play began with was this. Rolling up a character and putting them into a situation, most commonly a fight, to see what would happen. I quickly acquired Traveller because the best part of the game was, for me, to generate characters. And I have notebooks from that era packed with characters I generated using various role-playing game systems. RuneQuest, Traveller, Star Frontiers, D&D, Palladium Fantasy and Rollmaster, to name but a few. I was exploring the intersection between imagining a character and building that idea inside the system of the game. 
As a kid, I built myself a few times over too, and my friends. I think I was exploring the question of how it is possible to define a person, of what it means to be a human being. Are we really made up of attributes and saving throws, skills, talents and powers? This question of how best to define the character, the alter ego in the game, dominated my thinking for more than 20 years and continues now. This helps explain my preference for skill-based systems, my slide towards simulation and my acceptance of system complexity. Life is complex. Being human is complex. Six stats and a hit point score plus five saving throws, to refer to Beckme D&D, was never quite satisfying. Simple appealed for ease, but complex drew me closer to imaginary realisation. The second step was, of course, the simplest game structure and role-playing, fighting monsters in solo combat. These appealed because they were quick and they were challenging. I could take a group of D&D characters and put them into a combat situation, playing through the scenario and learning how to optimise the outcome. And at first this was simply a matter of learning how the game rules worked. And then it would engage my wargaming heart with a tactical challenge. How to win, as Robin Laws suggests, how to minimise the risk for the characters. And this paid off in my social games, where I was able to bring my increasing rules mastery to the table. This was, by the way, the first inkling of what I said earlier. We can discover ways to play alone that open us up to new treasures we can freely share with others. But that was as far as the actual play in solo mode went for many years. The other aspect of playing alone that I grew up with once I left home and went to university and then on into the world of work was the so-called lonely fun of game mastering. This is about world building and the enjoyment of creating environments. In time it became more and more about the collection of different games that I could explore alone, making characters, running combats, sometimes running a couple of scenes, say a fight, some exploration and a trap. But mostly I fell into the trap of buying, reading and less doing. I was isolated in real life by working and earning, living away from my network of gaming friends, not knowing how or where to find fellow gamers. Eventually I was working for Games Workshop, the wargaming company, and for many years it was forbidden to talk about anything other than miniatures in the workplace. We changed that around 2000 when Mike Mason joined the office and the stage was set for second edition Warhammer fantasy roleplay, but that's another story. This, then, was the pattern for playing alone. Buy or choose a game, build one or more characters, knock about with a fight or two to three scenes shorted scenario, and then rinse and repeat. It all changed in 2015, when first Tana and then Kenny appeared on my gaming radar. My great epiphany came when I discovered two great products in quick succession. The first was the groundbreaking Mythic Game Master emulator by Tarna Pigeon, part of the Mythic role-playing game published by Word Mill Games. That game is a classic, and I keep coming back to it. The second great product was the even bigger influence on me, Kenny Norris's solo roleplayer website posts published throughout 2015-2016 and his amazingly helpful Guide to Playing Alone published in 2015 and still available on DriveThruRPG. What was groundbreaking about Kenny's little PDF? Well, firstly, it was free. Secondly, it addressed the very problem that Roleplay Rescue seeks to tackle. 
how to get back to gaming when all your pals are too busy, but it does it in such a way as to empower you to actually get playing. Alone. Solo. Quote, Solo role-playing is a way to role-play when you are unable to role-play with mates. It can't take the place of time around the table, but solo role-playing gives you a deep role-playing experience, one that requires only yourself. The only excuses you'll hear are the ones you bring. End quote. Kenny takes the subject of how to role-play alone and breaks it down. I'm going to shamelessly steal his approach and give air to it once again today, and I don't think Kenny would mind as long as we all take a moment to recognise his immense contribution to role-playing games. Everything you were about to hear originated, at least for me, from Kenny's solo roleplayer posts and booklets. Thanks, Kenny. And thanks to all the pokey credits too. Alexander, Alex Yari, Charles Reynolds, Deathworks, John Four, and Phil Nichols. I discovered these guys were hanging out on Google Plus in the Lone Wolf solo roleplaying group, and since the demise of Google Plus, they moved on to MeWe in the solo roleplaying Lone Wolf roleplaying group. There's also a Reddit group called Solo Roleplaying with 400 plus members. The main point being you're not alone, even when you're solo. Kenny gives us three steps to solo roleplaying, three things we need. Quote, there are three key elements to exploring solo roleplaying. One, no roleplaying. Two, know thyself. Three, know thy toolbox. End quote. The first of those steps, no roleplaying, talks about looking at roleplaying with eyes that you've perhaps not considered before. Quote, in role-playing, two powers work together to create a story using guidelines. End quote. Two powers. Powers working together to create a story. Story created using guidelines. The powers are the GM and the player. Kenny points out that in a solo game, you have to take on the roles of both of those powers, except that it's much more interesting not to play the GM. Quote, Doing this alone is possible, but to make things more interesting, it's best to use a solo engine to outsource most of the power of the game's master. End quote. Thus enters the idea of a solo engine to help run your solo game. If you want to hear more, go listen to Season 2, Episode 4, Getting Started Solo. Solo play opens a door. Using GM emulation tools such as Mythic, you can travel into the worlds you imagine alone, inhabit the characters you built alone, and move beyond the simplest of game structures. John Four taught us about five-room dungeons. Kenny taught me to harness the power of solo play to build those dungeons on the fly and beyond five rooms. Tana Pigeon also gifted us with the Location Crafter and Creature Crafter, tools that offer solutions to building location crawls on any scale. I've tried adding in decks of cards to generate dungeon maps, random tables from various places, and even landed on my second most used solo gaming tool, the GM Apprentice decks from Nathan Rockwood of Larsonous Designs. All of which is to say that solo role-playing games are a thing, and I deeply enjoy them when I allow myself to play but I generally fail to let myself play alone. Playing alone in an essentially social hobby has a stigma. We need to overcome this stigma, but it's there nonetheless. It might seem shameful not to have friends available to play, because in this culture I grew up in, being Billy No Mates is not something we learn to aspire to. Certainly humans are social beings and certainly it is healthy to be in relationship, but at times 
Despite being employed, having friends and being married, I have felt alone and isolated in a negative sense. Gaming was my route to escape such loneliness. Playing alone is liberating. In theory, you could play any game in any world. You can use any of a myriad of GM emulation tools and you can build whatever you like. You are not accountable to anyone else for your play, except for the boundaries of time designated as free and for your discretional use. In practice, I find I feel self-conscious about the opportunity costs of solo role-playing. What I mean is, the investment in playing alone comes at a cost of not playing with other people, nor of prepping to play with other people. But of course, this is a not-so-cleverly-disguised thought distortion. You should be playing these games with other people. You should be giving your time to preparing games for your groups. You owe your friends your time. Which is, frankly, a load of twaddle. Let's be clear, you can play alone. It's a lot of fun because you get to do it your way, and you don't need to tell anyone else you're doing it. Except... Kenny Norris noticed something about solo role-playing that is very important to experiencing a sense of meaningful play. Logging. Kenny's genius is probably best exemplified by his almost throwaway advice to log your solo games. Quote, Techniques including different methods to log your solo role-playing plays, methods like writing it down as if you were a novel, writing it down as if you were a journal, drawing it as if it were a comic or graphic novel, or making brief notes as you need them during your role-playing session, end quote. Logging, or making a record of your game, revolutionised my enjoyment of solo role-playing. No longer was the story simply played out in my head, or perhaps in my case, told by being spoken out loud, you know, perhaps when I was a kid in my bedroom, but instead it became recorded, logged, This is important because it allows you to go back and review the past. You can look back over your episodes and see the development of your character. Or you can check some fact of the game world. Or you can just enjoy the read. Logging also allows you to share. Remember I told you about the solo gaming community? That's what they talk about, mostly. They share ideas about how to solo game, certainly, but they also enjoy reading each other's game logs. And that's what gave me the solo bug. I began to blog my solo adventures. Given that setting up a blog can be free, this is easy to do. So you can play solo and then share your adventures with people who will enjoy reading about them. Given how verbal I am as a person, I have experimented with recording my solo plays hourly, recording them on my phone for playback later, and even with recording them on my phone and then having them transcribed into written form for easy reading. But the newest idea I have is to use John Four's excellent campaign logging tool, Campaign Logger, to write up in-play notes and utilise the powerful links and tag systems to keep track of my game. And this is where we arrive at the value of solo role-playing for your group-based gaming. When you play alone, you open the door to creative play with others. Let's start with an example. I'm curious about GURPS Banestorm, the fantasy world of Earth, but I don't know enough about the world to feel confident enough to run it for others. It'll take a lot of time and effort to read and digest the book, so it'll feel too hard and too scary for me to simply suggest running it for a group. 
plus I would need time in my schedule for a new game or I'd need to switch out a current game for the new game. I've learned from a bit of past experience that this is not going to work. I will cram for the first session, run a terrifying session or two, feel overwhelmed once the excitement wears off and then end up killing the game by bailing out. The tension between it being play for me and it being work for the benefit of others, that'll be too great. Enter the possibility of solo. And by the way, I may not begin to play solo with this world because playing alone is all about what you want. And this is just an example, but it could happen like this. What if I read the introduction and then created a character or two for myself set in the world of Earth? Maybe even create a character swept up by the Banestorm and dumped into Earth, a stranger in a strange land. From here, what if I play solo in the world? Which is better, more enjoyable and more likely to help you learn the details of the fantasy world? Is it reading the book and then trying to run it for a group? Or might it be to play it solo, reading and accessing what you need as you need it and using the world to create a game for you? alone. At the end of the solo game, would it be easier or harder to take what you have learned, plus all the materials you will have created along the way, and develop them into a group-based game? I think you can sense my direction, but here's my caveat. Don't talk about your solo play until it's done. The most painful thing I have discovered about the intersection between my social anxiety and role-playing alone is this. I feel guilty if I start something, talk about it or share it, and then stop playing. I've done this many times, and it always hurts. I think this is because people reading and hearing your game become invested in it, and when you stop, they miss it. And then they ask for more, and you get the feedback loop of guilt. I've learned to log my games and have an attitude of being ready, willing to share, but I recommend holding back delaying the share. Unless you can feel good about stopping, it's best to get the game to some sort of completion and make it very clear that it is a complete thing, at least for now. Don't talk about your solo play until it's done. So here's where I've arrived. Solo play is good. It's rich and exciting and valid. You should totally play alone. Indulge yourself. Enjoy it. Record it. Immerse yourself in it. This is play for you. It's the best kind of freedom at the table. But bear in mind that every world you explore, every creature or treasure you discover, every tool you create can also be shared. It deserves to be shared if it was deserving of your table. Solo play can enrich our group play. We can give our play to others as a report, a game log or a recording. And people like you will find your play and enjoy it too. So don't be shy about solo role-playing games. Indulge yourself, and then tell us about it afterwards. Game on. Hey Chase, Spencer here. I just wanted to drop you a message because I've really been enjoying this season, particularly the last three episodes, 13, 14 and 15. Uh, regarding anxieties around GMing and stuff like that, as you know, I'm a bit of a reluctant GM myself. My only real experience 
GMing was uh, once when uh, Colin Green, good old Spike Pitt, put me on the spot and uh, had me run an impromptu session of a game, a very minimalist game that I'd written, barely a system. And <laughs> even then, I wasn't too clear on the rules myself. But that was fun. But I, I digress uh, because I play in a lot of games run by Barney Dicker, who's very much an advocate of improv play and minimal prep. And there have been a few sessions, uh, one-shots, I, I seem to recall, probably, probably about three-hour sessions, where I got kind of halfway through the session and felt that maybe the momentum was winding down. I was feeling a bit aimless. I didn't really know what to do with my character uh, to, to kind of keep things moving. You know, and the whole thing seemed to be in danger of grinding to a halt only for something to happen and slowly everything would kind of fall into place and by the end of the session we'd had a really satisfying conclusion to the scenario. So, um, yeah, I don't know if that speaks to uh, Barney's skills as a GM, maybe my anxieties as a player, possibly, quite probably... Both. That was something I was reflecting on while listening to your last episode about emergency prep. But I had some thoughts when listening to uh, is it Dispel Terror, episode thirteen, where um, I was thinking about my own excuses for not running games and how. I make the excuse of not being able to prep for a game as a GM. I only feel as if I've got time to kind of turn up and play. And yet the games I play in are primarily improvisational. So the the idea that I don't have time to prep doesn't really cut it. I guess the fear is of being able to cut it as an improvisational GM. You know, as you said, the big what if, you know, what if I dry up? What if I can't think of anything? What if what I think of is lame? What if uh, I lead the characters down a dead end that there's no way out of? Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, well, there you go. Excuses, excuses. Because that one time that I mentioned when I was put on the spot and I did have to come up with something on the fly... What I came up with actually was all right. I had nowhere, no idea where it would go from the kind of brief little scene that played out with Colin there. 
but um, it's surprising what you can conjure up in the moment. So, um, well, just, yeah, just wanted to share my appreciation for those episodes and the thoughts that they had inspired. So thank you very much, Che. Take care. Thank you, Spencer. And if you don't listen to Keep Off the Borderlands podcast, that's Spencer's show. You really should. But Spencer, thank you for sharing your thoughts, and I'm glad that those episodes spoke to you. It's good to know that I'm not the only one who feels the fear, both as a player and a GM, of am I really going to cut it? And it's got me thinking in connection to today's episode, because for me, learning to be more improvisational, kind of learning that set of skills, has kind of grown as I have solo played. I think when you solo play, if you're using Mythic anyway, you're going to start with an opening scene and you have no idea where it's going to go. And of course, that's exactly what Barney Dicker of Loco Ludus, another podcast, by the way, everyone should be listening to, um, is what Barney would do when he's improvising, just to use your example. I think you start somewhere and you might have a vague idea where it might go, but actually the fun of it all really is discovering through play what happens. I think one thing to remember is that the players in a group game are going to drive the action. And as a GM, you can actually sit back somewhat and respond to what they bring. If you have a cool idea, you can throw it in. But actually, the pressure isn't actually on you to make it fun. It's actually down to the players. I think being a solo player has taught me how to be better as a player as well as better as a GM. But at the risk of waffling, I'll leave it there. Say thank you, Spencer, so much for calling in. And I hope that this reflective moment speaks to someone else out there in the community too. Cheers, mate. And that's it for this week. Big thank you once again for showing up and listening. Thanks also to our callers today. You know I love questions and comments, so if you've got one, please feel free to call in via speakpipe.com slash roleplayrescue. You'll find you can just click on the message button and speak for one and a half minutes. If you're on your phone, hop onto the show notes because you'll be able to find a direct link there. Thanks also to all the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show. Without that support, I'm pretty sure I couldn't keep going. Thank you. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.